state will regulate and militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. Glad that you have joined the program today. We've got a good show for you. A lot of stuff to talk about. A lot of stories from around the country to uh, uh, get caught up on and to uh, try to delve into. Uh, You may have seen this story out of... Some stories say it's out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Other stories say that it's from Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, This is something that I actually wanted to talk more about, but we just don't have a lot of details here. But basically, a group of people, mobs, shows up outside of somebody's home somewhere in Wisconsin. Uh, They are uh, yelling at him. They're screaming at him. Uh, He has, you can see through the uh, window, he's got a shotgun. Uh, And eventually, police show up, and this guy gets arrested. Alleg- well, allegedly, we, we, we the, the video, we see him being taken away, uh, allegedly charged. We don't know the guy's name. We, we don't even know the town where this took place. But uh, reportedly, uh, unnamed sources say that the guy was arrested and charged with brandishing a firearm. So I'm still trying to track down some actual information about this case. This is one of the things that drives me crazy as a reporter. Somebody who actually cares about, you know, throwing facts out there as opposed to just, uh, well, here's some something I think might be true. Um, It's very difficult sometimes to get this information confirmed, uh, but it's also really important to get this information confirmed. So I'm trying to track down some actual facts about this case so that we can talk more about it in an upcoming edition of a bearing arms cam and company. I am aware of this story, but I, I don't, I don't feel comfortable or right. Just saying, well, here's a video from somewhere. And when this is where people say it's from, but there's just way too much disinformation and misinformation going out online these days uh, for me to feel comfortable just regurgitating what somebody else claims to be the facts. I want to track this stuff down for myself. Now, we do, however, have an update on a number of other stories of individuals who may have been acting in self-defense, may have not been acting in self-defense when it comes to dealing with the mob or the mobs, rather, that have uh, popped up around the country over the last three months in the uh, wake of uh, anti-police protests and riots and looting. And we've got this coming on both sides. This is not, I mean, I know that the media loves to portray this as, well, this is just a bunch of Trump humpers. They just, oh, they're just angry. And Listen, this is happening on both sides. You've got people who uh, are, you know, Trump supporters who have been accused of crimes, that they claim we're acting in self-defense. You've got people who are Biden supporters who have been accused of the same thing, and they're saying the exact same thing, too. Uh, the latest arrest that I've been able to find from out in California, where a man was arrested for pointing a rifle at a pro-Trump parade in Woodland Hills. Now, this parade took place um, a minute ago. I mean, it, it's it's been a little bit of time since this uh, actually happened. It was August 31st when the parade actually took place. So, you know, a couple weeks ago, uh, Andre Allen Young, identified by authorities as the uh, guy who pointed a uh, gun at the pro-Trump parade, which had stopped in front of the Avalon Woodland Hills apartment uh, there in Los Angeles County. CBS in Los Angeles says the day before shots had reportedly been fired at a pro-Trump parade, but the shooter wasn't found. Uh, Police say the next day, which was a Monday, several vehicles taking part in a parade stopped in front of the apartment complex. Several people in the apartment complex began to shout and to throw glass bottles at the caravan. One of them pointed a rifle at one of the people who had been arguing with them. 
Uh, no suspects found at the time of the incident, but a rifle was recovered during the search of one of the apartments. After detectives identified Young as the suspect, he was arrested on Thursday, uh, being held on a $100,000 bail. First court appearance, not available. What's interesting to me is that there are sort of uh, some similarities between this case in Woodland Hills and this video out of Madison, Wisconsin. In 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 both cases, the guy could say, listen, I had this mob of people outside of my house. And I didn't know what their intentions were, so I pointed a rifle at them, or I held up my shotgun in an attempt to get them to leave, to go away. Uh, and it appears in both of these cases, although, again, we only know confirmed the uh, case in California, uh, that these individuals were, in fact, arrested and now facing charges for doing so. Again, they're not perfect similarities. I, I think that there is a difference between, let's say, stepping outside of your apartment with a rifle and pointing it at people in a uh, parade, uh, even if you are on your own property. I mean, there's also some shades of the McCloskey case in St. Louis uh, there as well. But there's no indication that I've been able to tell that the uh, members of this Trump parade, which, by the way, was on a public right of way, as opposed to the McCloskey protesters who were marching through a private neighborhood on their way to the uh, mayor's house. Uh, no indication that these uh, individuals posed a threat of any sort. But again, it gets really murky. And I'm not an attorney. One of the things I hope to do in the next couple of days is to bring on an attorney to talk about some of these cases. But uh, the, the law is kind of murky, as, as we'll see here in a couple of these cases going forward. Another case we've got some new news on uh, is in Omaha, where uh, James Skurlock, he was a, a protester on May 30th who was shot and killed by a guy named Jake Gardner, who's a bar owner there in Omaha. Now, there's there's really no dispute that Jake Gardner was the person who fired the shot to kill James Spurlock. The question is whether or not this was self-defense or not. The prosecuting attorney, the district attorney in Douglas County, which is where Omaha is located, originally said after a couple of days, we think that uh, Jake Gardner was acting in self-defense based on the information that 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 we've been able to, to see. There was um, a hue and cry from many in Omaha who felt that uh, Spurlock had been murdered and that uh, Jay Gardner should be facing charges. So the prosecutor said, kind of reverse course, and said, all right, I, I, I know what I think, but willing to get a second opinion, we're going to have a special prosecutor present this case to a grand jury. Well, the grand jury came back on Tuesday uh, afternoon and announced that it had indicted Gardner for three charges, uh, terroristic threats, uh, uh, attempted assault, and manslaughter. And basically, they're alleging that on the night of May 30th, uh, as there was a chaotic situation playing out in downtown Omaha, this was one of those, I mean, think about it, May 30th, this was five days after George Floyd's death in Minneapolis. So this is right when the protests slash riot slash looting were kind of at their height in terms of the number of people. You know, now you look around, you see Portland, Oregon, you see uh, even Kenosha, Wisconsin. You're talking about, on a good night, a few hundred people who are out there throwing stuff at cops, trying to kick off the revolution. This was a much more chaotic scene, and it was much more widespread throughout downtown Omaha. Um, the video that emerged at the time of this shooting showed Gardner being jumped on by Spurlock, who basically jumped onto his back, put him in a headlock, and that's when Garner fired a shot. According to the special prosecutor, however, they were able to uncover more evidence, not all of which, by the way, has been released to the public, but should come out at trial, 
uh, showing that uh, they believe that Spurlock was the initial aggressor. Excuse me, uh, that that, uh, Jake Gardner was the initial aggressor here. I have to say, I think this is going to be a tough case for a jury. Again, I'm not an attorney. I haven't seen all of the evidence. But what we do know is that in the minutes before this shooting took place, uh, James Spurlock and another individual who uh, was with him are seen on video, it looks like, breaking the windows of a bar uh, also owned by Jake Gardner that was across the street from where Gardner and his father were standing. Uh, There's also video that shows uh, Gardner's dad yelling at a woman and then shoving her. And then that's sort of when this melee and fracas begins. Eventually, it ends up with Gardner in the headlock uh, after Gardner had kind of lifted up his shirt to uh, show his gun. I think in an attempt to try to get Spurlock and others to back up, that's not what happened. And prosecutors may be able to show differently, but that's what it looks like to me on the video. And then as uh, Garner's in that headlock again, he then pulls his gun and fires the shot that ultimately took James Spurlock's life. Um, interesting to me that the grand jury, they didn't charge Gardner with first-degree murder. They didn't charge him with second-degree murder. They charged him with manslaughter, which in uh, under Nebraska statutes basically means that this was uh, an argument that got out of hand, that there was no intent uh, on the part of Gardner to kill Spurlock, but that... Um, he went too far, basically, that he went beyond the means of uh, self-defense. Again, I think this is going to be a tough case for prosecutors to prove. Uh, a grand jury, you know, you've heard the uh, statement, a grand jury can indict a ham sandwich. And if prosecutors want an indictment, they can probably get one. Uh, proving this in a court of law, I think, is going to be a little bit difficult challenge for those prosecutors. And I would not be surprised, uh, frankly, if a plea deal is offered in this case. I don't know how the community in Omaha will react. The uh, prosecutor uh, yesterday already had to like warn people, okay, don't break windows. Don't go out and riot as a result of these charges. So clearly tensions and emotions are still running high uh, there in Omaha over the death of James Spurlock. But I, I, again, I think this is going to be a difficult one. The, you know, the, you're not looking at uh, the same standard for a, an indictment as you are for a conviction. So, can prosecutors prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Jay Gardner was not acting in self-defense when he fired that shot? But I think, again, we have not seen, the public has not seen all of this evidence, but based on what we have seen, I have to say I think that is going to be kind of a, uh, a tough haul for prosecutors to prove. Uh, meanwhile, we've got a case out of Florida, different result. I uh, talked about this, I uh, wrote about this yesterday at the Bearing Arms, but I don't think we talked about it on the program In Gainesville, Florida, uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was another protest. And in Gainesville, like we've seen, you know, and I don't know how many dozens of protests around the country, you've got protesters who are out in the street, they're blocking traffic, they're kind of surrounding cars, and they surrounded a a, a silver Kia SUV. There are uh, conflicting reports about what happened. At the time... Uh, You had several witnesses say that the driver of that Kia SUV displayed a handgun and then basically tried to run over protesters as he sped out of there. He stopped a short time away or a short distance away. He was taken into custody by police, 64-year-old man, uh, who was in the vehicle with his adult son. The state's attorney in Gainesville announced this week that after further review, 
including, again, additional video evidence that uh, was not available at the time of the arrest. Uh, he now believes that the driver of that car was acting in self-defense, that the uh, protesters had surrounded his car, that they were throwing things at his car, that his windshield had actually been shattered, and that there was no intent on the part of this driver to run over any protesters, that the driver was simply trying to get away and did pull and display his handgun to basically try to get people to back up and let him proceed. Uh, again, people are uh, very angry. A lot of these protesters are upset. They're calling this an example of white privilege. They're saying this is another example of uh, how the criminal justice system is biased. I I I'm not buying it. I'm not. Now, I I again, just based on the evidence that I've seen, which may very well be incomplete, uh, it does appear as if these individuals had surrounded this car, were throwing stuff at this car, and that there was a reasonable fear on the part of the driver that they didn't know where this was going to stop, how far this was going to escalate. Once the windshield had been shattered, you first thought, first instinct is to get the hell out of there, right? And so you would drive away. Now, thankfully, in this case, again, nobody was hurt. There were no protesters injured. The driver wasn't injured. Uh, my advice would be, listen, and, and I, I say this as somebody who loves the First Amendment just as much as I love the Second Amendment. You have a right to peaceably protest. You absolutely have that right. But you got to be smart about it. You can't be stupid about it. And your First Amendment right to peaceably protest does not mean that you have the right to impede others on the roadway. If you're going to peaceably protest, I do it on the sidewalk. I mean, really, it, it sounds kind of simple, probably is, but you know what? It would solve a lot of problems. Don't play in traffic. Don't try to stop cars. Don't surround vehicles and then start throwing things at them. At that point, that's not a peaceable protest. You're not exercising your First Amendment rights. At that point, you may very well be posing a threat to the person inside that car. And they not only have their First Amendment rights, they have their Second Amendment rights too, including the right to act in self-defense. So we will, again, uh, try to get some actual facts for you on that case out of allegedly somewhere in Wisconsin, and we'll see what we can find out. Uh, but, you know, you look at some of these cases, and I, I think right now, this is one of the reasons why I want to talk with a, an actual attorney here. I think right now the law is struggling with some of these cases. In fact, we still don't have resolution. Do you remember it's been over a month now? Austin, Texas, protester was shot by a driver of a vehicle who, again, had been stopped in the downtown area. People surrounded him. Uh, this protester who was open carrying an AR-15 walks up to the driver's side window disputed accounts about whether or not the uh, the gun was actually raised up and pointed towards the driver, but the driver fires shots, kills the protester, speeds off a short time later, turns himself into police. No charges have been announced in that, but the driver's also not been cleared. Police have been investigating this. Prosecutors have been looking at this case for well over a month now without any sort of resolution. So I, I, I think these cases are difficult. Obviously, you got the case of Kyle Rittenhouse in uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin, where charges were filed. Uh, there have been some other cases. There was a, a case of a, another protest. I think this was also in Florida. Uh, may very well have been another case in, uh, in, in Gainesville. 
Uh, no, it was Tallahassee. It was the state capital. Uh, no vehicle involved in that case. It was just uh, folks on foot. And again, uh, an individual who's being threatened by protesters pulls out his gun. No shots were fired. Uh, but uh, individuals wanted him charged with uh, brandishing at the very least. It turns out no charges filed. I, I think the prosecutors in a lot of these cases are really wrestling with, okay, during these chaotic situations when you're literally, you can slow down video footage and you can make a second last a half hour if you want, but in real time, these events are unfolding very quickly. And was this a case of self-defense? Was this a case of initial aggression? Uh, what does the law allow uh, in these circumstances, these, these are, are difficult questions, I think, even for the prosecutors in these cases, uh, much less for, for jurors here going forward. So there's a lot to keep an eye on. Uh, and I would just advise you, again, if you are, and in so many of these cases, these weren't individuals who, you know, went to a protest looking for trouble. These were people who were driving down the street trying to get to the hardware store or trying to get home uh, when they were confronted by the mob. Again, your Second Amendment rights don't disappear when you set foot inside your car, depending on where you live. There, actually, there are a couple of states that uh, your Second Amendment rights may very well disappear once you put, uh, get inside a car. Uh, but you absolutely need to study and know what the laws in your state are when it comes to your ability to act in self-defense. What is that bar? What is that standard? Because the last thing that you or anybody else needs is to uh, act in what they believe is self-defense and then, again, be facing criminal charges. All right, let's move on to, uh, well, I guess, you know what, we're going to keep talking about uh, self-defense because we've got our uh, Armed Citizen Story of the Day coming up. We've got our good deal of the, our good deed of the day coming up, but we're going to start with our recidivist report, a uh, story out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, where a third suspect uh, has now been charged in the shooting death of a Tulsa police officer, and police say that uh, this guy... Uh, unfortunately, well known to uh, them and authorities, had a pretty lengthy criminal history. So this from uh, KJRH in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, U.S. Attorney Trent Shore, so the federal prosecutor in uh, the Eastern District of Oklahoma, announcing the indictment of 28-year-old Jacob Garland for possession of a firearm after a previous felony conviction. Shore says that Garland uh, traded the gun that was used to kill Sergeant Craig Johnson. Trading that gun for a heroin. Yeah. Uh-huh. Trading an illegal gun for an illegal drug. You know what I bet would help? Another gun control law. Maybe another drug law. Uh, the announcement from KJRH uh, says that uh, it came after a push aimed at getting guns out of the hands of felons in Tulsa. The 2150 initiative named in honor of Sergeant Johnson represents his badge number. His accused shooter, David Ware, is also a previously convicted felon. The 2150 initiative described as having uh, the, the same goal as Project Guardian, a, a federal gun crime reduction program which goes after felons in the possession of firearms. Uh, KJRH says, although 2150 is not adding anything to what both Tulsa police and federal law enforcement are already doing to combat illegal guns, the uh, U.S. attorney says there's a need to be more aggressive in getting guns off the streets of Tulsa. And, you know, look, it's, it's, it's true that programs like this are, are not necessarily doing anything new, but they are... I think better utilizing resources. Not every local case is going to get referred to the U.S. Attorney's Office. If if that were so, then we wouldn't have a local district attorney. You wouldn't have a county DA. You wouldn't have Commonwealth's attorneys or states' attorneys. So the U.S. Attorney's Office has to prioritize 
what cases they're going to take and what cases they're going to handle. With Project 2150, they might, you know, it's a matter of, okay, listen, we are going to be focusing on felon in possession cases, but not just every felon in possession case. Let's say, you know, somebody gets arrested, uh, somebody broke into their house. Police come, they find out that this guy's got a gun. Well, 15 years ago, he uh, had a felony conviction for a nonviolent offense. I, I'm, I'm blanking on what one of those might be. What was some white collar crime? That's not necessarily a priority for the U.S. Attorney's Office compared to the guy that was arrested the same day, uh, fell into possession of a firearm. Only this guy's got three violent felonies to his name. Which of those two cases should be a bigger priority for the U.S. Attorney's Office? Uh, pretty clear, right? So it, it really is not a matter of, you know, setting up any sort of new law or any new statute, but simply better utilizing the existing resources in a way that will focus on the most violent offenders. And the thing is, it doesn't have to be. You don't have to have a new program. You don't have to have a new law. A lot of times, it, it's simply more effective to come up with a new strategy instead of trying to pass a new law. I've talked about this quite a bit at Bearing Arms and uh, here at Bearing Arms Cam and Company over the years. Uh, you look at a excuse me, you look at a program like Project Ceasefire, uh, which was first established in Boston, Massachusetts, in the late 1990s. No new law, not at the federal level, not at the state level. Simply a new strategy of focusing on the most violent offenders who were well known to law enforcement, well known to the community, pretty much all of them already on probation, calling them in and telling them. Okay, here's the deal. You're going to stop shooting people. I mean, that's it. You're just going to stop. And we will help you if you let us. We'll, we'll help you get your GED. We'll help you turn your life around. We can help you find a job. We can help you get back into the good graces of civil society. But if you don't let us help you, well, then we're going to make you stop. Because we're going to be taking your case, and we're going to be putting it in federal court, and there's not going to be a plea bargain, and you're not going to get a sweetheart deal, you're not going to get a slap on the wrist, you're going to get at least 10 years for being a felon in possession of a firearm. And you'll do at least eight and a half years before you're even eligible for release in the federal system. And when those promises are backed up with deeds, when there is that help available, and when there is a consequence, swift and certain, for engaging in one of these acts of violence, you know what happens? The violence stops. Or at least it's greatly reduced. In Boston, Massachusetts, homicides were cut by more than 50% as a result of this program, which has been replicated in cities across the country over the past two decades. Again, you don't need a gun control law. You don't need some sort of new bureaucratic system. Oftentimes what you need is a change in tactics and strategy to focus on the people who are actually committing a disproportionate amount of violent offenses. It's not rocket science. It's, I guess it's criminal science. All right, on to our uh, armed citizen story today from Montana, where uh, prosecutors say that in Montana, shooting back in April was the result of self-defense. Again, I mean, you talk about how, how it can take some time for uh, prosecutors to be able to to come up with, uh, you know, the results of a uh, uh, an investigation. So this was in um, Billings, Montana. 43-year-old Chad Rockman 
died of a single gunshot wound to the chest back in uh, April in an area off of Highway 212. The Carbon County attorney, Alex Nixon, uh, says that he will not be prosecuting the uh, male shooter who's been identified only by his initials of J.H. According to the county attorney, Rockman and a buddy had driven to a, a trail to do some hiking, and they asked a pair of hikers to help free their car, which was stuck in a snowbank. So J.H. and a female companion, identified as T.H., tried to help, but apparently Rockman became agitated by the fact that the couple had their dog with them. The county attorney, Alex Nixon, says that the dog, quote, became a catalyst for Rockman's escalating behavior. He picked up a large stick and repeatedly threatened to kill the dog. And that's when the couple were like, all right, dude, you know what? You wanted our help. We tried to give it to you. You're freaking out. We're leaving. We're out of here. Rockman then allegedly followed the couple to their car, shattered their rear window, assaulted J.H., used bear, uh, T.H., then uh, pulled out bear spray and tried to spray Rockman, had no effect. And uh, then and only then did J.H. pull out a handgun. He ordered Rockman to stop. Rockman did not. J.H. then fired a shot near Rockman's leg. Didn't stop him. Then fired a shot that hit Rockman in the chest, killing him. The county attorney says that the testimonies given by the two hikers, as well as Rockman's friend, were all consistent. And the county attorney said that J.H. took several different measures to extricate himself from the situation. So again, even with a case that appears to be as clear-cut as that, I mean, that incident took place in April, and here we are mid-September, and only now is the county attorney saying, yes, this individual did act in self-defense. We won't be filing any charges. All right, finally today, our good deed of the day from Stockton, California. What's going on with this picture here? Got a police officer, got a young kid. Are we about to see a takedown or are we about to see an arrest? No, actually. What you're witnessing is a very good deed indeed. According to uh, CBS in Stockton, the police officer pictured there was actually um, there to help that child. It was Monday morning. Stockton police got a call about a boy who looked scared and confused. When the officer found the boy downtown, Boy was nonverbal. He wasn't communicating. So the officer used pencil and paper and uh, was able to figure out where this boy's family is, our family, uh, where that family was. Um, according to the uh, Stockton police, the uh, child, a, a, a nonverbal autistic child, uh, but the officer, again, had that training and was able to identify what was going on here and actually, uh, again, you know, find that pen and paper, allow that child to communicate. Spokesman for the uh, Stockton Police said officers uh, do ongoing training for mental health and for people with disabilities. Uh, according to uh, the department, an officer at the department who has an autistic son has actually facilitated uh, some of that training itself. So in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, to uh, help a child get home safely. Uh, that Stockton police officer don't know their name. We thank them for their very good deed. That is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as always. 
Thank you again for joining us. And uh, don't forget, we've got our uh, VIP live chat with Ed Morris. It'll be available uh, on demand for our VIP Gold members. If you sign up using the code LOYALTY, you get a 25% discount. You can do that at BearingArms.com. We certainly do appreciate all of your support. We will be back tomorrow with another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company with more of the latest Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. Hopefully, an update on that story from somewhere maybe in Wisconsin. Yeah. Until then, be well, be safe, be free, and we'll see you soon with another edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company.